Now it's time for Food Through the Lens. Food FM's Melissa Woolard is joined by photojournalist Patrick Douse to talk about his time photographing the UK's largest food bank in Newcastle at the height of the first lockdown. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. So hi Patrick, thank you for joining us today. It's lovely to meet you. Um, it'd be great if you could start off by telling us just a little bit about yourself, where you're from and what got you into photography. So I, the reason I chose photography was kind of, so I was, it's not as much of a story as I picked up a camera one day and I was absolutely amazing. I didn't start when I was about five years old or something. It was more so, I used to go on family holidays and my dad would have a small little digital camera and I was just more interested in the camera as a piece of kit. If you're like a young child, it's this exciting piece of technology and you can capture images with it. And then it just kind of grew pretty organically from there. Then I decided to study it at sixth form. And I was always more interested in trying to document people as animals, if that makes sense, more of kind of document them just for their purely human behavior. Because we, I feel like it's kind of no different to document the behavior of any other kind of species as animals. Because we all have our own habits and the way we go on and everything like that. So that's what interested me. Um, and then I decided to move down to university to study photojournalism and documentary photography at, uh, in 2014. And then I just stayed here. After that, it just kind of then just started to, to develop totally organically. But the it's kind of interesting because I did move to university to get away from the northeast of England, which I don't, I mean, that's my home. I, I love it to bits, but I wanted to leave there because I felt like I knew it too well. I wanted a bit of a challenge. I wanted to move to a city that London, I knew London, I'd visited it, but obviously I'd never lived there. And it's a city of millions and millions of people and you don't know a single person there. So I thought I'd move there. It's going to be all these exciting stories to, to photograph. And then after that, I'll get to travel around the world to document this and that. But it was when I stepped away from the northeast of England, I saw it with a different set of eyes. And I realized that's actually the area that I want to document my, my own kind of my own personal relationship with the northeast. And I left it in when I was 19, which is to 1925, the years where you might discover what your interests are, what dislikes are, political kind of which way you're going to lean. And I spent that time in London. So my work in the Northeast, I guess, was very much a kind of personal experience for myself to try and reconnect with the area. And also, I guess, on my projects, broadly put, documenting working class culture in the Northeast. But within that, because it's such a broad topic, I like to try and find focal points, which is why my work in the Northeast originally started on documenting the colliery bands in the Northeast of England. Yeah. And then after that, it just grew to finding more stories in the Northeast and talk to people and just seeing the Northeast with a different set of eyes and reading the news more and kind of read about more of the history of the Northeast of England as well. Perfect. And so recently you've been up to the West End Food Bank up in Newcastle. How did you first find out about that and what kind of drove you to go back up there and not only document it as a photographer, but also volunteer, which is incredible and, you know, get more involved in the Northeast and finding out what's going on. I think the, Initially, the reason, the way I found out about the food bank was it was just coming across articles about the use of food banks in the UK. And I didn't know anything about food banks. I'd heard of them. We all know, kind of have an image in our head um, of just queues of people outside. And we don't, no one, you don't really, it just scratches the surface. No one kind of, you read the article and then you kind of move on, which is, everyone does that, you know, about every topic. But I found out about the Newcastle, the West End food bank. It was just through research, kind of a bit of chance, my old lecturer actually mentioned it to me when I was at university. He said, why isn't anyone documenting this area? No one's telling this story. And then that was a few years ago. And I recently came back to it during the lockdown because I was in London. Not, I wasn't working at all. 
um, and now kind of read about this article. I read an article about the Newcastle West End Food Bank, and then when I started to read more, I had I didn't find out about that until I moved to London. And again, I, I saw it in a different light, and I was like, oh my god, it's kind of it's the UK's biggest food bank is in is fifteen down the fifteen down, miles down the road from where I've lived my whole life, and I had no idea. And I felt like it was important to try and learn about it more myself. And by doing so, I thought I could photograph or start to photograph it to at least attempt to try and tell the stories of those that use it and people that rely on it. And also the people that work there as well. And um, the reason I chose to volunteer is because I didn't want to just send them an email. Hi, can I come from my nice cozy flat in London, photograph food bank for a week, take photographs and then just leave and never go back. It just seems kind of voyeuristic and a bit, just totally insensitive, I felt, because how can I possibly try to relate to these people that I'm sure would rather not want to use the food bank, but the kind of the, that's how the situation is, and they have to. And so I'm just going to come take photographs of that, and then, oh, look how sad this is, and then just leave. But by volunteering as well, it's human interaction part of the photographs is such an important part. You can't even get close to trying to get to know someone without actually spending time with them and just put your camera down and just talk to them and ask them questions and rather than try to form a narrative for them, get them in the conversation and ask them why their situation is and try and help them kind of represent themselves. Because there's quite a big problem with, I don't know, say the representation of working class people or representation of people in poverty. They don't, they aren't allowed to form their own narrative. So I wanted to just get down to, on a human level, just to talk to them and trying to try, to try and tell their story. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of going about it. And when you got to the food bank, was it as you expected? I mean, did you have any previous expectations of where you'd be volunteering or what it was going to be like on a day-to-day basis? When I first got there, I mean, I didn't really have any expectations about what I would see necessarily. I kind of had, you had some expectations of how you would, I don't know, expect the people to be that are kind of relying on the food banks or as in they might not want to talk about it or they might feel it's just quite a private thing for them to want to talk about. But when I got there, it was, so my role was very much, because I've spent a week there initially, I wanted to see all kind of aspects of how the food bank ran. And it was, they've got, there's two collection centers where the, the people that use the food bank come and collect the food parcels. And you've got one for single person couple or a family. And it was very much, you're giving out the food parcels to the people that come and they use, they give, they give a voucher that you can scan something on your, Mobile phone now is like a, a ticket. Um, but when you're doing this, normally when people come to the food bank, if they come, say, once a week, that's their, and they live by themselves, that's their form of human interaction for the week because they live by themselves, they don't see anyone else. And they come and stop for a chat, have a coffee, how's it going? But because of the lockdown, you couldn't do that. It was, you were allowed X amount of people inside. You had to do social distancing. They couldn't stop for a chat. And you have some people that are in, say, their 70s that will use the food bank and they're shielding at home, can't see anyone at home, and they come to the food bank and they can't have the chat and the conversation that they used to. So apart from supplying them with food to kind of keep going, it's also a psychological kind of benefit for them as well, um, which a lot of people are willing to talk about. And when I started talking to them, they were very much kind of enthusiastic about that. That's true, I guess. I never thought that it'd be human interaction before, I guess. I hadn't really thought much about it. I'm like those people, sadly, who just read the articles, donate when I can when I'm out shopping. But because of COVID, I've not been out shopping. So I guess I haven't been donating as much myself. Did COVID affect the amount of people that were donating to the food bank? Do you know? Well, the the donations from kind of, I can't think of the right word, private people, 
did fall because people were just buying what they had to, or initially it was people were kind of buying a little too much just in case, you know, supermarkets ran out or anything like that. So the, those donations fell off, but they had a lot of donations from major supermarkets. So Morrison's start to do deliveries to the food banks and they would turn up usually once a week with a huge van load of kind of brand new produce to give to the food bank for those purposes. But then towards the end, when I was there, you had a lot of people would turn up with their donations because a lot of people, I think, found out about how much food banks are being used because the numbers went up during lockdown. Um, but the uh, just the amount of kind of donations from private people did fall off slightly, but not too much. I mean, because I think people in Newcastle know of the food bank, um, but kind of outside of Newcastle, not a lot of people know about it. Can you tell me a bit now about sort of the other volunteers you met? So how many people are there typically volunteering at the food bank? So like you've got quite a lot of pictures of John in here. What was John like? Yes, yeah, so we've got John the warehouse manager and John the driver. Um, yeah, so they are, so I'll start with the warehouse manager first. They are just totally selfless people. <clears throat> I mean, so they, the, the, the driver and the manager, they work for the food bank. So that's their, uh, that's their job. But what they're doing is, because a lot of them will still have older relatives that they kind of can't necessarily see in June Shield, but they're still turning up kind of hours on end, sorting out the, the warehouse manager, we'll be sorting out the produce in the warehouse, which is run by volunteers that work for them. So there's about five volunteers in the warehouse. They normally have more, about 12 or so, but because of social distancing, they weren't allowed. So they'd have, um, when I was there, there was four people sorting out the produce. And this is just, there's just so much food that is being donated. And initially it looks like there's a lot, how can they kind of, it looks like they've got loads of why they keep getting more donations, but they go through it so fast because that many people rely on the food. Um, it's just kind of absolutely manic for them. But the people I met, so I met a, a, man, a mother and a daughter, and they are shielding together, and she came up from university, the daughter. Um, and they were just kind of just expressing how important the food bank is for the people. But then again, it was more so in a, in a way of, it is very important, but it's almost, a sh- well, it is a shame that a lot that many people have to use it. And then everyone, they were just kind of totally selfless, totally normal people that have, some, some of them that are retired, some of them are at university, and then have moved back home during lockdown. And they're willing to spend their time when I'm sure they'd much, they'd, they'd much rather spend it with their families or kind of shield others, but they're kind of putting themselves in harm's way to keep this food bank running, and especially because I know in the Northeast it was hit quite bad regards to cases and deaths as well. So it kind of adds even more of a, just such a selfless act to do when you kind of keep them on this food bank every day. You know that the potential that you could get ill is still there, but realize it's such an important thing to uh to do it is i mean they're really amazing people because like you say a lot of them will have been retired and putting themselves really at risk uh, what was the atmosphere like there trying to kind of picture it from the photos but um it was it seemed very quiet when we were there because everyone's in ppe say gloves and masks um you have a quick look quick chat with the people that are coming in to use it but it was a very kind of bizarre atmosphere from the stories i've been told about pre-lockdown when um, in one of the places there's a <clears throat> it's got a coffee room and the clock is stuck it's an hour slow so it hadn't been used since the clocks went forward which is around March I think it was kind of towards the end of the March so that wasn't used since lockdown started so it's just totally empty there and it's kind of you know you're in a place that ha- can hold a lot of people stop for coffee and they have volunteers or come and give coffees out teas and coffees as I said 
for the more of the social interaction side of it. But it was quite a, I wouldn't really say solemn because among the volunteers and like myself when I was talking to the volunteers and everything, everyone was still upbeat and kind of realised you have to kind of keep going. It's an important thing to do. And you still do have time to have a, a quick chat with people. But it was, uh, and it's just, it seemed a bit, it seemed great busy as well. So say the, um, one of the collection centres there, it opens at 10 a.m. Um, and it'd be a queue of people from about nine o'clock, half past nine. Um, and that was as a direct result of COVID because a lot of the people that have started to use the food bank, um, a lot of them had worked in jobs that were cash in hand. They'd just recently moved to the UK and their bosses, I guess, just said, oh, the work's dried up. There's nothing else you can do. And their earnings just kind of stop instantly. Um, and there was a lot of, there's got a large Romanian community in Newcastle. Um, and initially, they, because of all the social distancing signs are in English, it was very hard to communicate to them. You have to keep, you have to social distance because the local police would come around and say, listen, we have to, it can't, we're going to have to shut the food bank down unless everyone social distances. And that's adds another challenge to it when if, if you all speak English and they speak just Romanian, it's a very hard thing to kind of try and navigate. So that's why they've got a gentleman called George from Romania who is, he's been in Newcastle. He moved about a month before lockdown, but he's an engineer. And in his spare time, he volunteers at the food bank as a translator to try and help them out. Just to basically just to say that we need social distance and kind of, don't all turn up in a huge crowd. Um, and that adds a bit of kind of sense to the whole thing. But I'd say the atmosphere was, among the volunteers, was generally positive, but it was quite a solemn atmosphere sometimes, just when you get talking outside in the queue to some of the some of the members that are using it. Of course, and the people using it itself. So I imagine the numbers of people actually turning up to the food bank would have increased because obviously jobs went down in the economy is a bit broken at the moment. Did you get a chance to speak to many people who were new to using a food bank and about their experience at the West End Food Bank? Yeah, so I, I made an effort to want to talk to people and I wasn't necessarily approaching them like a reporter, you know, asking them difficult questions. It was one time I had this, this gentleman came and I offered to help him with his stuff to his car to then engage in a conversation because I wanted to talk to him. And I always keep my camera on me just so they're aware who I am so they can see it. And it's rather than kind of, getting out, taking a phone, putting it away. You know, it's important that people can see it. Um, and I spoke to him and we got to the conversation of, it was his first time using it. I'm not sure whether I said to him, oh, how have you been? And I started talking, well, yeah, I'm self-employed. I wasn't working. And it was his first time using the food bank. And I, I spoke to him and he was saying, I never thought it would come to this because he, he he has a he had a family of four. And initially he was kind of turned up in his, he had this brand new car. And I was I was thinking, how is this? It doesn't seem to add up with the come to the food bank in a brand new car. But he about a month or so before he got made redundant from his job. Um, he worked at a he was at a factory in Newcastle, and his fellow then he got made redundant. And he was just saying that he never thought it would come to this because they normally they've gone from relatively normal earnings to just nothing. And a lot of men were kind of quite embarrassed to come in from a pride point of view as well. And then um, Carol, the woman that she basically runs the food food bank she she's such a warm character just to try and break down those barriers if it's not embarrassing everyone this kind of this can happen to anyone um it kind of hit me that it was a an older man in his 40s with a family and he was having to rely on this food bank and he was just totally shot and i think his work sent him something like 250 pounds <laughs> or something 
they are there that last year you've, you've you got last wow. page just before lockdown and that's what we can give you and it's just kind of it's so hard to hear especially when you've got people with families that are working it's not the typical narrative of or you're just using food bank because you can't work or you don't want to work. It's just not how the world works at all, which a lot, I guess, is the general narrative of if you use a food bank, using it because you can't work or you're lazy or that's just really not the case, you know? Yeah, it's a, there seems to be a bit of a stigma around it still, even with the press and even recently with COVID, it still seems to be portrayed in a light that is shameful, which is terrible because, you know, it's not like you say, it can happen to anybody and it, it needs to be there to support people. I would like it now if we could talk through some more of the um, the pictures and kind of to describe what the food bank looks like. So obviously it's in a church, isn't it? The West End Food Bank is a church. Or is uh, it a church? Yeah, so the, there's two centres. You've got Benwell Lane Collection Centre and they've also got Venerable Bead Centre as well, which is they both operate as collection centres and a place that new people will come to you sign on, give you details, then get a slip and then come back the next day for the, the food parcel. Um, but yeah, so the, the biggest one is in the Venerable Bead Church, the food bank. It's more of a modern church kind of on the outside. But when you go in, it's this, the great big kind of community hall. Um, it's very nice, wide open space. And it's just not an intimidating environment at all, especially for people that I've never used a food bank before. Um, but I mean, when then with the Benwell Lane Collection Centre, it's the, that's purpose built by the food bank. I mean, that's like a, a prefab, prefab gate building where people come and collect the food parcels or they get their vouchers and stuff. But the favourite part about the Benwell Lane Collection Centre is they have, they've actually got their own um, allotment now, which means that they can grow their own produce to then include some fresh fruit and vegetables, which isn't always... That, that's the kind of stuff that does not normally get donated. I guess it doesn't keep as well or can give fresh fruit and veg, fresh produce to people just to, and also to teach them a little bit more about cooking as in this is what you can cook with. It doesn't always have to be the same long life food that you are used to as well and just to try and help them out a little bit. That's an amazing integration. So was the allotment built purposely for the food bank? Yeah, it was. Um, and it's only, I think it's only been there a year or so. Um, and they have volunteered that they have someone that comes to do the gardening and stuff, but they also have people that use the food bank will volunteer and try and help out a little bit if they want to. Tending to all this, they've got a, they've got a greenhouse with tomatoes, they've got Swiss chard, uh, spinach, potatoes, onions, all sorts that they've got grown because they're trying to, I guess, in an effort to be a little bit more self-sufficient and then they get, so they've got all this produce kind of around the year that they can give out. And I saw a few of them being given out, which is really nice to see like food parcels with nice big bunches of spinach and potatoes and it's just a bit more a lot more personal I think as well when it's been grown by the people that are volunteering at the food bank which is a kind of a really nice aspect of it. It is so one of your pictures is Stanley who's been using the food bank for the past four years so is Stanley helping to grow things at the allotment then he's got his own tomato plant there? Yeah so he uh, yeah so I'm, he, I met him kind of unfortunately towards the end of the week he was a really nice character and he before lockdown filled the, the greenhouse with his uh, his tomato plants and he regularly comes to attend to them I mean he'll have he might have a quick kind of look in when he comes now to collect the parcels but due to social distancing it might, might be a little bit different now he's allowed to keep tending to them um, but yeah so he returned so Vince he is Stanley sorry he's retired um, and he uses the food bank so he can 
I guess he has the time to then tend to the gardens and stuff. But he, uh, yeah, he tends to the tomato plants, keeps the gardens going. It's kind of, it's nice watching him because he's very caring about the plants and it has to be watered all the time and kind of to keep it going. Um, but yes, yeah, so that was his tomato plant that he helped them set up the greenhouse basically and taught them how to grow the, the, the tomatoes and the cucumbers and all that kind of thing. That's a really lovely side to it. So I guess there is like a bit of a community feel and it does feel like people are coming together to support each other where they don't have no support from the government and places. Um, just looking at some more of the pictures. So it looks like it was kind of a bit of a military operation in the way that it was run. I see there are lots of kind of maps and documents in boxes. What's going on in the picture where there is a person kind of pinning loads of maps to the wall? So the that photograph is that's in the the Benwell Lane Collection Centre on the wall. And it's that basically put that's the, the, the area that the food bank serves, which when you look at it in person, wow. like, it must be about six to eight feet wide and basically, well, about four foot high. So it's humongous. And this is the area that the whole food bank serves. And they have people that work in the offices, about four or five staff that work in the offices that take all the calls from this area. But it's just a huge kind of just geographical area. Obviously, population wise, it's big. But geographically, that's that one food bank saves that whole area, which when I saw it, it was like, I thought it was an important way to visualise exactly the area that they kind of follow as well. Absolutely, because 46,000 is obviously a massive number. I don't think that really kind of struck home until I saw the map pinned to the wall and just went, whoa, okay, that's absolutely huge. So you've got the people that work in the, the volunteer in the office. You've got the people that volunteer in the warehouse, the people that drive the vans, the donate, the register. So on an average day, how many volunteers were the centres getting? I mean, so I can, I guess I could just speak from when I was there. Um, but normally they'll have, sometimes they'll have two of the centres going on at once and there'll be five or six volunteers in each one. But that's down from, say, sometimes they would have a lot more because some of the members are, uh, some of the volunteers, sorry, are older people of an older age, basically. So they're having to shield at home. For example, the lady that does the gardening at the allotment, she is she needs to stay at home because she's shielding herself. And there were some people that would still decide to just come in because they can't, I don't know, they feel like the food bank can't kind of really run without them, which is true. It, you have to kind of, people have, I guess, selflessly kept on going. Uh, but each one will have about five or six volunteers Um and it's a range of people from all kind of backgrounds and walks of life, and which is another thing I kind of asked every person, when did you start volunteering here? Why did you start? What made you do it? And it was a mixture of university students, people that had just recently moved to the UK, people that had retired that and now had the time to, as they said, rather than kind of sit around and do nothing, they wanted to use the time that they had to try and help the wider community because now is the time in their life where I guess they have a lot more time than usual. Um, but there's a very mixed group of people in there, which is nice to see. So in terms of the range of food that was donated, do you think that changed during COVID? Because it looks like in the pictures, there's absolute mountains and mountains of packets and tins and all kinds of things. Did it just vary on a day-to-day basis, do you think? Or did you get the same kind of produce every day? A lot of the produce I saw when that were getting delivered was quite similar. There, was not, there wasn't a lot of fresh produce. And what they... Um, a lot of the stuff they relied on that they couldn't get as much of were stuff like baby formula, uh, nappies, that kind of thing, which weren't getting donated as much. Actually, whether it's because of a shortage or people were getting it for themselves if they've got recent newborns in case the shops run out. Um, but a lot of the stuff was obviously kind of the usual stuff, dried pasta, dried foods, long life milk, that kind of thing. 
But I think largely a lot of the produce kind of kept similar just due to the donations from, I guess, Morrison's, the largest supermarkets. But a lot of the produce, I think it, it didn't really vary day to day, to be honest. A lot of stuff you would get, um, definitely a lack of like fresh fruit and veg, which I guess is where the allotment comes in, which is a good kind of way to add on to it. Um, but I think largely food-wise that was donated was kind of a little bit different to before, but not too different because... Um, First week was kind of no one really donated anything. But then a week or two after that, people start to relax a bit more about everyone starts to realise the supermarkets aren't going to run out of food. <laughs> yeah, it, felt, it did feel a bit strange at times. Like I went months without a shop. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, and so would you volunteer at a food bank again if you had the time? So what is your kind of takeaway from it? Because obviously more people should be doing this. But I know near me as well, like I am, um, I was unemployed a couple of years ago and I actually did look into volunteering at a food bank, but there wasn't enough space and it just seemed like lots of people needed to be served, but there wasn't the capacity to do it. Do you think that there need to be more volunteers or more food banks or what do you think if there's a solution to this, it could be? I mean, so I would definitely would volunteer at a food bank kind of to answer that question. Yeah, I would do it. I think it's an important thing to do providing that I guess because a lot of them would do it just say two hours a week because they had a lot of people mm. um they just say a few hours a week once or two days a week um but I think it's if you can it's an important thing to do because I mean if you it's I mean unfortunately it's not hard to find food banks because there are quite a lot in the UK at the moment but you could just try and volunteer at your local one but I mean I think ultimately I guess the way to try and combat it is a bit more kind of just support for working people and people that have fallen on hard times and that really need a help from kind of the state I guess but I think unfortunately there probably in the future there probably will be more food banks especially in October when the end of when furlough ends a lot of that'll kind of add to the dynamic of it as well that'll kind of that'll totally change everything but I think I don't think there should be more food banks because I guess in the UK the less food banks the better because it mm. means that people are able to get on with their lives and don't rely on it because Honestly, no one wants to use them. When I talk to the people, we kind of agree. It's such an important thing, but it's unfortunate that it is needed because what would happen if they weren't there, you know? But I think it's an important thing to do, especially if anyone has time. If, if, if you've got a few hours a week, all the food banks, I'm sure if you try to contact, they would appreciate it because it's such, it kind of, it broadened my mind just to people in general and people, different people's circumstances. And it's a, such a big learning experience as well. And it just kind of puts you in their shoes, even just a tiny bit, to try and relate to someone else and just see someone else's view on the world and how their situation is. Could I talk about, actually, if it's okay, the, the photographs of Zaheer and Samita that I talked to, two people that had recently arrived from Iran and the UK? Yeah, please do. Please do. Because I think I was quite, I was quite a, I was a little bit shocked about it, to be honest, that kind of drew this time. So the... Yeah, so they both arrived separately, but they're both from um, Iran. And Zaheer had recently been given residency in the UK after kind of arriving as refugees from Iran. And Samita, she's awaiting uh, approval of a citizenship or just to stay here from a visa. And they are, these are two people that arrived in the UK, don't have any, I guess, emotional attachment to the UK or the people of, of the Northeast or Newcastle. But they're spending their time during this lockdown, which if they've just arrived to the UK, I've been here my whole life and it was uncertain for me. And if they've just arrived, I can't even kind of imagine the uncertainty that they're going through. But they're spending their time volunteering to help out people of the northeast of England in a time where they need it most, which I thought was such a 
just such a kind of a poignant thing that I had to document just to show people that will necessarily, a lot of people say, oh, what, we have, they've just arrived to the UK, they're getting these benefits, they don't deserve this or that, and they're helping out the people of the northeast of England when, honestly, they don't have to, they've just arrived here. I'm sure they've gone through their own emotional stress and troubles, but they were just such, I guess, obviously such warm, friendly people, and they were so enthusiastic about helping everyone, and they just kind of, they just got on it, they just, they smashed it, and they were helping everyone, and it was absolutely fantastic to see these two people helping out the people of the northeast of England, which I thought was just a brilliant representation of modern-day 21st century Britain in such a global kind of world. Everyone kind of comes together on a human level. It doesn't really matter where you're from because they're from thousands of miles away from here and serving people that have never left the northeast, you know? So it's just such a – I find that such an important thing to try and uh, to document. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's their stories that need to be told. Well, I mean, it might, it might be worth saying so that – project that I've started is something I'm going to carry on for kind of I guess the next years to come and when I initially emailed and contacted Food Bank I just kind of put it out on the table exactly what I wanted why I'm doing it and it's now started a kind of more of a creative relationship with them which is good or a collaborative relationship because they were so open with me coming down and documenting what I wanted to and then going forward we've, we've even talked about putting some prints together to how uh, we could possibly sell them to a donation to go straight to the food bank. Um, we've talked about creating a book to document life at the food bank, which then I guess eventually would go on to be sold with the donations. So the project isn't very much, I haven't been able to visit as much as I would have wanted to, I guess, because of the lockdown and travel restrictions and stuff. But this is something I'm definitely going to keep going because it's a very important story to tell and you can't, it's totally impossible to try and tell this story with, 31 photographs that I've chosen here. You know, I want to, you need to create more of an extended body of work to try and really get into the lives of these people and talk to them and find out their experiences. Absolutely. So when are you planning to visit next? Have you got kind of a, a next volunteering session lined up or is it very much in the air at, at the moment? At the moment, yeah, because with my adjusting to kind of present or post-COVID life, planning things is quite a little, a little bit more difficult. But I mean, I'm definitely going to go around go there around Christmas time. I want to get there in the next few weeks. Um, and it's just to book in is again, go for a week again, spend some time volunteering, photographing, and then just keep going like that, you know, just when I have the time, because they appreciate the fact that I'm in London. That's obviously in the northeast of England. So I travel exactly when I can and I just dedicate as much time as I possibly can to it because this is what my, it's a very important story. And I'm starting, I'm going to start a master's in January. Um, so I'll, I'll have the time to do that again as well with the, the facilities that I'll have on offer to me from the university too. So that'll grant me a lot more time to do it. Cool. That's very good. And would you do the same thing in London or elsewhere? Or is it just Newcastle that you document? I guess it's like a, a massive kind of UK wide project. Yeah. So the, I would definitely like to do it in London because I guess whilst I'm here, there's, there'll be some in London that I could go down and document. I think just the reason I started the one in the Northeast was with it being the biggest in the UK, I thought it was quite an important, um, I guess, focal point on the, um, on the kind of the issue at hand. Um, but this, this three banks in London that I would like to definitely document just to try and paint a more, a broader picture of, uh, I guess, geographically how food banks are operated and how is each area affected differently or the food bank users in London use it for different seasons. So one's in Newcastle or I'd write a bit of a broader picture of kind of, I guess, food banks in Britain, at least now, 
um, in the current situation while this is going on to try and just paint a more of a broader picture of around the UK rather than just one specific area. But I started in Newcastle um, just because, as I said, it was my hometown. I wanted to, to try and find out a little bit more about just what's in my back garden, really. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today, Patrick. And just one final thing. So if people do want to help, what is the best thing that people can do right now to support food banks? The best thing to do now to support food banks is just, if you're out in the shop, just buy that extra tin or just buy that one extra tin of whatever it is. And if we have thousands of people do that every day, donations to food banks, it won't be too hard. You know, it doesn't take much at all. Or if you're buying what? tins of beans or pasta buy an extra packet and just donate it to your local food bank and it's not hard to find out where they are you've got the trussell trust for example is they operate and are affiliated with a lot of food banks in the uk and so people can find about them there as well but just awareness and just start the conversation of if anyone has ever had to use a food bank don't necessarily make them feel bad or kind of embarrassed about using them because everyone's situation is different and as i said just buy that extra tin of what tuna or vegetables or that extra little bit and then donate at the food banks when you can because I'm sure they, they would love to take any donation that you've got. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. That was Food FM's Melissa Woolard talking to Patrick Douse in Food Through the Lens.